hoity-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the seventh meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm pretty cool with Salamander's Mike. And I'm little Bo Peebo Bryson Meredith. We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for in unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. <laughs> so saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Hey, Mike. Hey, Meredith. Great work on the opening today. <laughs> Try. I'm here. I'm here for you. So did you have any noteworthy animal encounters or experiences or, or feelings this week that you'd like to share? Um, I've been really into watching the cat across the way. Um, he or she got on the counter earlier tonight. That was fun. Probably more fun for the cat. You're spying on your neighbor cat? Yeah. Well, I mean, this kitty's pretty much spying on us, too, because it will just sit in the windows, which face directly our windows, and just watch us. Oh, so it's kind of like a kitty voyeur, like voyeur kitty, and then you're like a kid, you're like a human voyeur. It's like interspecies co-voyeurism. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I like it. Yeah. It's like a fancy French film. I have one. So I had some time to kill. So I was sitting in this bar. This couple near me were having a conversation. And I started overhearing the conversation Uh when uh, the guy said, I don't really speak any animal languages. And the girl was like, well, what about dolphin? And then he goes, arf, 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 arf. She's like, that's not dolphin. That's what seals sound like. He's like, (laughs) oh, right. And then he went, ah, 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 and I put my headphones in very quickly and disengaged from the conversation. Wait, you didn't like more immediately tune into the conversation? No. These sound like our kind of people, Mike. They do kind of sound like our kind of people, but they, I, you know, I was nervous about meeting strangers. I mean, I was in a bar by myself. I was in an yeah. unfamiliar neighborhood. Okay. Okay. I understand. But I would have. I would have nudged my little bar stool a little bit closer. You'd have extended your dorsal fin skyward and gone. Ah, 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 ah. Yes, and then I'd be like, "Do you know a turtle?" And they'd be like, "Excuse me," and I go. Eh, 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 eh. Can you translate what you just said in turtle into English for us, please? Warning: This is about to get very explicit. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Oh mm, mm, yeah, just like that, baby. Mm. It's comforting to know that that's the first phrase that you know how to let you demonstrate <laughs> your knowledge in a foreign language. <laughs> I only say this. I, there is explanation behind this because maybe people have seen these various videos of turtles like trying to get it on with a croc sandal or like trying to get it on with like a toy turtle. And they just like do these like thrusting motions and they just go. <clears throat> you have to look it up. They're fantabulous that does sound like something worth checking out it feels like there's a lot of animal mating videos on youtube yeah or like (laughs) so funny mating fails even yeah totally we'll talk about some of those later Mm. (laughs) foreshadowing Mm. 
I am getting a lot of people that are reaching out to me and telling me like anim- relatable animal stories from our previous episodes or, oh. you know, creatures that they had known. And that's thrilling. Keep keep that coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Maybe we can share some at some point. Yeah. Once we get, you know, a reasonable number of them and have a, have a variety to select from, as we now have with the feedback. Thanks for sending in all those questions, Absolutely. everybody. Absolutely. We love the feedback questions. Yeah, we're always happy to get more of them, so send mm-hmm. those in as well. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess let's just kind of kick it. Let's kick it off. What do you say? Let's do it. Ready? Okay. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxana me. Kingdom. In Amelia, it's the reason for this podcast. Phylum. Arthropoda. Invertebrates and exoskeletons. Class. Insecta. Half of all living organisms. Order. Manto Day. Triangle heads and bulging eyes. Family. Manti Day. Zorak Robert Jones. Genus. Mantis. Get your halos ready. Species. Mantis religiosa. Genuflect, bitches. It's a praying mantis. Oh my God! Praise hands! Praise hands! Praise hands! Oh my gosh! And the motion that we're doing is actually something that the mantis does, the praying mantis, and I'm gonna tell you all about it. You ready? I'm so ready. Okay, so I just have to explain something funny fact that I found out today when I was researching what I'm going to call throughout this presentation mantis. Mantis. That's like the plural. My plural. Your plural. <laughs> <laughs> cool, mantis. Um, so when I was looking up my mantis earlier, um, I was reminded about Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh yeah, the best show I, in the world. A bunch of that Adult Swim stuff is on, like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, yeah, and Sea um, uh, Lab Twenty Twenty. So good. Which is like Twenty Twenty is upon us. And I it's know a dystopian version of this future that we're living in. Totally. It's, I just wish that we were all under the sea. You know? I so know. whimsical. It's so whimsical. Oh man, all those like good-looking, like generic seventies men. Yeah, with the hair. That hair, that helmet hair. Ah, <laughs> so much pomade. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, Space Ghost is the arch no is the arch nemesis to Zorak, the Mantis character on Space Ghost, right? And then later Space Ghost Coast to Coast, right? But I didn't realize until I was reading this that few fun facts about Zorak. His full name is Zorak Robert Jones. He's Episcopalian. He loves Metallica, but then like later made fun of the band when they were on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh. But he also loves the Ramones, and he likes to call himself the lone locust of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Mantis, Mantis, I don't think are locusts. Loki. I mean, I don't know. It, what yeah. was? Where did it break off? It, it was Insecta, and then what? Man, Manto Day. Manto Day, which is essentially a bunch of man, like an order of mantises. Uh huh. So all characterized by these those distinct triangular heads and bulging eyes. They're so goofy looking. I'm obsessed. They are kind of goofy looking. It is just very strong triangle shape. Yeah, and it's such a distinct face look. Because often you know how insects, because they've got, you know, like weird sets of eyes, it looking at them is kind of like looking at an alien. Because you're like, which eye do I look in? Fly? Right. Um, which spider. eye surface are you seeing me out of? Right yes, now? exactly. So the mantis actually have like the two big bulging eyes on either side that, you know, kind of look like how we 
perceive of eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Two paired ocular paired, paired they're nares. Not, they're, they're not nares. They're not nares. They're Ooh. oculars. So they're paired. And but then there's actually another set in the center that we don't really identify like as eyes. The third eye? Yeah, but it's like a bunch of them. So the eyes on the outside are called compound eyes. And the ones kind of where the third eye would be are called simple eyes. So compound eyes can actually, um, they're like a collection of a bunch of simple eyes. And they can actually um, process images. Whereas simple eyes, which of which there's like a few in the center in the third eye region, they can pretty much only detect uh, changes in light. Okay. So this will come into play a little bit later so the mantis has two bulging compound eyes on either side of its head yes and then in the center of the head it has some more eyes yeah but they're simple eyes versus compound eyes that's fucking crazy isn't that weird insects are wild i know (laughs) i just went to the eye doctor to get new contacts and Mm -hmm. so sometimes when i do that i go on like a little optometry deep dive and i was reading about bifocals which i don't need yet i do Mm -hmm. have astigmatic lenses in my glasses but not in my contacts okay no shade to bifocals there's a big um audience of them listening right now right but there was an instance of some sort of like fucking insect that had like like a bifocal system in its eyes where it had a compound eye that was focused far away and focused near away so it was like bifocal technology Uh in the animal kingdom yes that's amazing and so unsurprising insects are wild they're crazy but, like, in the coolest way. I mean, this gets nuts, Mike. Okay? I'm ready. So um, the next fun thing about these mantis is, um, and this kind of ties in, actually, with talking about the poison dart frogs last week. Mm-hmm. Um, terribles. The terribles. Terribles. Um, Terribles. In, in terms of how they defend themselves, like the mantis and the frogs. Um, so we talked about the aposmatic signaling or aposmatic displays. Yes. So using bright color to ward off predators that you are really icky tasting and poisonous. Whereas the kind of display that mantis use to ward off predators, like birds and probably a lot of birds really are doing the ones eating of the mantis. Yeah. They will do a display to essentially, it's called a deimatic deimatic display known as a bluffing display. So they're just trying to make themselves look big. They're trying to make themselves look like another animal. It's like what we talked about last week in terms of like the moths that have like false eye spots. Even last week we were saying that like, I think my frog was deomatic because it was camouflaged. So it's like an imitation behavior or um, like a masquerade sort of experience. Right, a bluffing behavior. Right. I think in the case of... um, the mantis is it's a bluffing behavior that's designed to frighten as opposed to camouflage like the tree frog. I see. Um, so what they do is they raise up their raptorial arms. Okay. Like okay, we were doing. Sure. I'm going to do what you just did. Yeah. So you raise... raise up, raise them up, raise up your raptorial arms. Uh-huh. So these are the arms that like um, mimic that, that uh, praying position where they get their name. Yeah, it's like if if you want to follow along at home, we're kind of making like T Rex arms. Yeah, and raptor. then we're like raptor, and then we're like raising them straight up. Raise them up, kind of like Egypt arms, almost. Almost, yeah. Just kind of hold those things up. Try to look frightening. Now yeah. take your lower set of wings. Okay. And spread that out. Okay, listeners, you with us? Yep, activating those. Spread that out. 
And see, on this tail is going to be a big black spot that does kind of look like an eyeball. Okay? Uh-huh. So you kind of look like this weird outstretched predator, um, scary thing. But to me, to my human eyes, Mike, I'm going to show you a picture. I think they just look like they're super excited about life. Look at these guys. They're going like, woo, we made it! <laughs> Iron Man 1997! <laughs> yeah, so these colors are like in day glow. They totally look like 90s bugs just celebrating life. Yeah, this is my third half marathon of the year, <laughs> man. It's only February. <laughs> It's so funny because their faces are so expressive with these weird eyes and then just the shape. It kind of looks like they're grinning or super excited. And they've got their little like raptorial arms up in the air. That looks like a poster they'd have at a middle school that would be like teamwork is the key to success. Yes, you can do it. Like Strong alliances build results. <laughs> speak up, speak out, speak often. We'll put this up on the Instagram. But anyway, so that's actually this thing that looks so cute to us is them just trying to be frightening, which is really kind of, I feel bad because they're thinking they're really being scary, but they're so funny. Yeah. Well, they're not trying to scare us away. Right. They're trying to give us hugs. Right. Give Manti a hug. But Manti actually. Mame. Manti Mame. What was I going to say about this? Where's oh. the boy in the bugle though? I, he's Where's out the- of the frame. So actually when they do this behavior too, sometimes they'll hiss like. So actually, I think if you, you know, come up on one of these guys, because I've seen them just like in my backyard growing up, or they'd be like hooked on like the window screen. You look out there and you're like, damn it, Manti, how did you get up here? But like if you come at them or try to fuck with them, like with a stick or something, like I always did. Sounds like you. Yeah. They do that, like raise up. I never saw the big black spot on the, on the tail though. I wonder if that's like a regional thing. (laughs) maybe or maybe you just didn't know to look for it you know yeah maybe they didn't activate that portion right i wasn't that threatening so that's kind of how that's their version of some sort of bluffing display but i will say quickly that aposematic that we talked about last week Uh that's actually so they're signaling that they are frightening by those bright colors but they actually follow through with it and being poisonous and just like tasting bad so aposmatic is like one step more extreme than diamatic. So the dayamatic. The mantis are dayamatic. Right. So if they get eaten by a bird, the bird won't get poisoned, the bird won't taste something icky. Okay. But if they were poisonous like your frogs were, yeah. then they are aposmatic exactly. and then whoever eats it's going to die. Right. Yes. In the case of a tiny poison frog, it could kill like multiple elephants. So nuts. So nuts. Um, Okay. So now we're going to get to like the real shit uh, very quickly. Um, The mating. This is where shit gets real wacky. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. I'll just start this off before I describe this saying that it has been observed in the wild and in captivity that female mantises will cannibalize their partners during after and sometimes even before copulation. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so I'm just going to quickly run through the stages of what you might notice in the mantis lumbata. Okay. Take me through it. Starting off, men um, 
are most attracted to the women in the hottest part of the day. Because it says the women's pheromones are probably the most active. Because they're just cooking in the midday sun. Exactly. That's what triggers it. The men will approach the female very, very carefully. Because if they approach too fast or too threateningly, the woman will attack him and eat him. Because the women are actually stronger and bigger. Okay. And I think more aggressive. So the male has to kind of gingerly approach the female. Yeah. Respectfully. Right. So he'll do it like this. So he spots a lady. So imagine across a pasture, male manty spots lady manty. And what he does when he spots her is, this is called the courtship period. He turns his head with those big compound eyes and those little simple eyes. Look directly at her. Okay. Uh huh. Then he attempts to approach her from behind. Okay. Very slowly. But every time she moves her head, he stops. So it's kind of like red light, green light that we used to play as kids. Or like the ghosts in Mario Brothers. Yes. And so it's kind of interesting that these guys win not so much by like sexual display, like some creatures do, but by lack of display. Because mm. he's just trying to freeze oh, every that's time. Interesting. So he can be like those ninja cats that like sneak up ever so slowly. Right. You know, I you turn around cat. and they're right there. Yeah. Um, and so eventually once he gets close enough, he uses his wings to like jump on her back, and then he uses his claspers. I think they're called claspers. That's like his genitals. Hmm. are called claspers, okay. and he claps, clasps them around her ovipositor, and then um, copulation can take, like, hours. So just approaching her will take hours. Wow. Yeah. like it's really got to sneak up. Yeah, so this could be an all-day affair between the courtship and the actual mating, like when the claspers clasp. It's very sting. Yeah, it is very sting. Manti tantri. Manti Tantry is the lovemaking <laughs> class that's offered at the local insect YMCA. Yes. And you know, it would just be like one hippie, hippie manti lady and then a bunch of like just sick male mantis. Right. And it would just be yoga mats. They'd really just be doing yoga. <laughs> For eight hours. So are they doing this headless? I don't know. Because here's what's crazy. I mentioned that the women like to cannibalize sometimes before, during, or after copulation. Yeah. Turns out men can initiate and engage in copulation without a head. That's insanity. (laughs) So it's not even... Insect insanity. (laughs) Insectity. So it's not even like the genitals have to like clasp before the decapitation it like it can be the order of events can be like decapitation genital clasp yes wow yeah and they do they did say that headless copulation does take a little longer as as it does i'm not surprised (laughs) here's my question meredith okay does reproduction always result in the decapitation of the male no but it does happen often enough but scientists are not entirely sure why because it's not, it doesn't seem to be beneficial to the male in any way. Clearly, he's dead. <laughs> right. Because they were saying could prevent him from doing what his life's mission is, which was to spread his manti seed amongst a lady. Oh, that's an interesting spin on it. That maybe it's like a way for the for the lady uh, manti to control. I don't know. Well, they were saying that it's a way for women to potentially gain nutrients to feed their growing, like, eggs. I see. So they just load up, they just eat another mantis, and then they have all the extra food stuff that they need. (laughs) All those carbs. Carb loading. 
they carb load right off the head of the, the man. Do they eat the whole male or just the head of the male? It didn't, you know, it didn't specify. Hmm. But it seems like maybe the head goes first. So as to not disrupt the coital bliss. Yeah, the carnal pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. Um, and of course, there's probably so much more to say. I know there's more to say, but I think we've been on enough of a journey. That's a pretty significant journey. I think that we should maybe do another mantis display, just to our, our mantis teamwork display. Yeah. Yay, mantis. Mantis. Meredith, stop biting my head off. <laughs> Meredith, <laughs> stop biting my head. <laughs> New this winter on AFC AIG TV. Welcome to Tiny Snail Homes. Downsizing is sweeping garden plots all across America, and lots of snails are deciding that bigger doesn't always mean better. Tiny Shell Living is about changing that thing on your back into a whole new world. They say that the more snail flesh you shove into a miniature A frame shell, the bigger it feels. Follow the builders of a new gastropod dream. This winter, only on Animal Fan Club Animals in Gardens TV. Tuesdays, 7, 6 central. Ha ha ha, animal jokes. Ha ha ha, are always funny. Ha 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 ha. Well, hey everybody, thank you for coming down to the Animal Fan Club Comedy Hour. First up tonight, we have Meredith Jurgens. Lay it on us, Meredith. What do you get when you cross a sheep and a porcupine? I don't know. An animal that can knit its own sweaters. <laughs> Why does the New England stingaree live in salt water? Why? Because pepper makes them sneeze. <laughs> what do you call a convict who uses an ovine, that's a sheep, to escape from prison? I don't know. On the lamb! <laughs> Why was the string quartet comprised entirely of cows? Well, I don't know why. Because they make the best musicians. <laughs> what do you call the final run through of a play with an all Clydesdale cast? I have no clue. A dress rehearsal. <laughs> How is a shark like this external hard drive I'm holding in my hand right now? How? They both have megabytes. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for coming down to the Animal Fan Club Podcast Comedy Hour. Don't forget to sign up for the next Comedy Hour by emailing animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Thank you and good night. <laughs> ha ha ha, animal jokes. Ha ha ha, are always funny. Ha 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 Texana you. Texana we. Taxana who? Taxana me. Kingdom. Animalia, it's just like us. Phylum. Chordata, keep that spine aligned. Sus. Mammalia, trivial pursuit. Order. Parasodactyla, adtot undulates. Family. Equidae, keep it horsey. Genus. Equus, the only extant genus. Species. Kiang, it lives in Tibet. It's a big ol' wild Wild ass. That ass is wild. (laughs) So a Tibetan donkey? Yeah, it's the Kiang. The Asinus is a subgenus of Equus. (laughs) 
and it's uh, several subspecies of the Equidae, commonly known as asses. Okay. Long ears, lean, straight, back build, lack of a true withers, <laughs> and a coarse mane and tail, and a reputation for considerable toughness and endurance. Oh, dumber little donkey. I would like to quickly stop in the odd toad undulate correction barn. Oh, okay. <laughs> Open those barn doors. I was mistaken earlier because I said that horses and zebras are even-toed undulates. Okay. And they're not. They are odd-toed undulates. Because it's just one? It's just one. Yeah. Okay. In researching horse hoofs to Mm. verify this, it really is like one bony like situation down to the hoof. Uh And then there's been you know several think pieces published that's like how many toes does a horse have most people would say one but the answer is actually five about like vestigial situations on the horse foot and everything okay there's like the chestnut i'll let you read about this but i i needed to correct this the odd-toed undulates are equidae which are the horses asses and zebras Mm -hmm. the rhinoceroses and the tapirs oh yeah tapir 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 I'm really not sure. So I just needed to correct that earlier. I was mistaken because I did specifically say that zebras were even-toed undulates and they are not. Yeah. So even-toed undulates would be like cloven, hooved. Yeah. Pretty much like anything else is an even-toed, like like giraffes, uh, goats, tragulidae, deer, true deer, Mm -hmm. you know, sheep. Satan. Pigs. Yeah. This enormous ass... Has an average height of about 55 inches at the withers, the kiang. The males are about like 750 to 880 pounds. And the females are slightly smaller. They're uh, like 550 to 660 pounds. That's the dimorphism. The what is it? sexual dimorphism? Yeah, sexual dimorphism. Uh, they have a chestnut color coat. It's darker brown in the winter. It's a sleek reddish brown in the summer. Can we call it Rufus? I think we can call it Rufus. Yes. Yeah, I think we can ding, say ding, it's ding, Rufus. It's a Rufus. It's a Rufus. The legs, underparts, end of muzzle, and the inside of the ears are all white. It's really a very beautiful ass, if I may say so. Oh, I can't wait to lay my eyes upon it. Yeah, it's definitely a great ass to look at. <laughs> And then there's a broad, dark chocolate dorsal stripe from the mane to the end of tail, which ends in a tuft of blackish brown hairs. <laughs> oh. Its winter coat's a little longer than its summer coat, which is fun. It lives on the Tibetan plateau between the Himalayas in the south and the Kunlun Mountains in the north, which means it's almost entirely in China geographically. Mm-hmm. They do love an alpine meadow and uh, <laughs> steppe country mm-hmm. between like 9,000 feet and 17,500 feet. And it really likes a generally flat or wide valley or low hills with low vegetation. Mm-hmm. This makes it really easy for them to avoid predators because they can look kind of far and see a predator that's pretty far away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, big of... open plains. Yeah. They do sometimes drink from water holes, but since sources of water are rare on the Tibetan Plateau, They likely get much of their water from the plants that they eat. Oh, cool. Or maybe snow in winter. Like me. Yeah, I don't drink out of the faucet in the winter. I just walk around and scoop up piles of snow. Right. But uh, in the great words of our Lord and Savior, Frank Zappa, watch out where the huskies go. Please don't eat the yellow snow. Let's hear it for Frank Zappa. Mm. Friend of the podcast. Always. Friend of my heart. So these asses are herbivores. And they feed mainly on grasses and sedges. 
Oh my gosh, it's another Sedge Mention. It's another Sedge Mention tonight. Woo! Uh, mainly of the Steepa genus, but it also includes, they also eat bog sedges, true sedges, and meadow grasses. <laughs> true sedges, come on. I know, I love that we now have our value judgment placed on our favorite, you grass. know, herbivore, grass-like, swamp grass relative. <laughs> All of the parasodactyla, including the asses, are hindgut fermenters. This is different than our ruminants. This is a distinction. Okay. Hindgut fermenter store digested food that has left the stomach in an enlarged sesum where the food is then further digested by bacteria. So the sesum, I hope I'm saying this right. I'm so embarrassed. It's not like this stuff is in common parlance. You it's know? true. I know the difference between a glockenspiel and a xylophone, so I feel okay not knowing these You're words. You're good. You're good. I had an argument with a pianist once where I was like, I just feel like everybody should know the difference between, like, everybody calls the glockenspiel a xylophone. I feel like everybody should know that it's not. It's a glockenspiel. It's not a xylophone. It's a glockenspiel. And he was like, well, that's an unreasonable expectation of other people, Mike. No, it's not. I think it is because I don't know how to say this CSUM word, so I just have to, you know, be fair. Yeah, okay. So what is the CSUM? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm just imagining just like this beautiful ass in its ass region filled with like an ass sack. No, no. Where it's, there's just a bunch of rotting food. It's different than that. Okay. Um, the CSUM is a pouch within the peritoneum that's considered to be the beginning of the large intestine far from the ass. Yeah, we're not. So the peritoneum is that kind of like sack that all your organs live in okay. on your insides. And so your little intestines and your big intestines connect and the sesum is that part. Okay. Okay. So that's where the appendix is. Oh. If you still have yours. I don't have mine. Yeah, you ate too many jelly beans. I'm glad you remember that story. I remember everything. Yeah. And then I your brother said, don't slip on the banana, and it made you laugh too hard. That's right. That's so <laughs> funny. It was hilarious. Oh, God, that was so funny. I couldn't laugh. It hurt so much. My brother took a stuffed banana and threw it <laughs> over my head. So don't slip on the banana peel. And I just about fell out. I had to sit on the stairs and recover. That was hilarious. My mom was, like, trying to be like, Dan, don't be nice to your brother. But it was so funny that, like, we were all just laughing. <laughs> Enough about me. Back, back to this huge, wild See ass. Some. <laughs> they have simple stomachs. Okay, so these hindgut fermenters. So they have a very simple stomach. But then, like, much of the digestion and nutrient extraction takes place in the sesum because it does the same function as rumination where mm -hmm. it breaks down these like heavy grasses. Yeah. So in horses, for example, the sesum can accommodate volumes up to 24 gallons. What? Which is a lot. What? I know. Holy crap. And that's like after their stomach, the food hangs out there and that's where nutrient extraction, et cetera, takes place. Wow. Okay. It's insane. It is inefficient in the extraction of nutrients, which probably explains why no parasodactyla is very small. For large animals, nutrient requirements per unit of body weight are lower, and surface area to volume ratio is smaller. So they need less food, like, relative to their body weight. Oh, okay. Does that is that clear? So if it was... Yeah. If it was a mouse, say, they'd need a lot of food relative to their body weight. Okay. But a rhinoceros or an ass only needs to consume a little bit of food relative to its body weight, a lower okay. percentage, if you will. 
Interesting. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Maybe it's like a metabolism thing. Yeah. Just logically, I would think there's probably not a whole lot of nutrition, like, in a single blade of grass or a sedge. Uh-huh. So it seems to me that they'd have to eat, like, tons of it to extract enough energy for such a large animal. So I'm just, like, it's just kind of counterintuitive, I think. Yeah, I really don't know. I think that's, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, when I totally. encountered that. I was like, oh, so these larger animals are kind of slow burns, you know? Mm-hmm. And it also contradicted something that I was reading in the parasodactyla like information <laughs> resource the december issue of parasodactyla monthly like if it was quarterly parasodactyla quarterly it would be pq cute <laughs> yeah i like that yeah it's a fashion magazine <laughs> this section is titled don't fuck with that wild ass because <laughs> sometimes they group together in large herds with like several hundred individuals. Oh, wow. And uh, these are temporary aggregations, though. These aren't like permanent herds. And it's usually, it's like kind of uh, all young males or all women in their foals. Okay. It's not like necessarily a mixed like cultural group. And then older males are usually pretty solitary and they'll kind of defend a territory of 0.2 to 2 square miles or so. Okay. And they will chase off uh, intruders with a threat display, but they might kick and bite at an intruder that doesn't flee. These little mini herds, they will defend themselves and they'll all kind of face inwards and then kick with their back legs (gasps) out. And they do that to prevent attacks from wolves, which are their primary predators Aside from humans. Wow. Wait, so it's kind of like a reverse circular donkey kick line? Yeah, you could think of it that way. Cute. Yeah, it's like a kick line playing to a theater in the round sort of situation. (laughs) Yeah. But reverse. But reverse, yeah. Yeah. Reverse donkey kick sounds like a weird sex thing. Not quite like (laughs) reverse ass kick does, though. (laughs) It's very different. I bet you're wondering about the reproductive habits of the asses. I'm so glad you brought that up. So they mate between July, like late July and late mm-hmm. August. The way that they mate is that the older males trot around the females and then they chase them mm-hmm. prior to mating. So yeah. they like kind of find the lady that they are like and they like trot around her. And then she like just kind of, you know, plays it cool. And then he kind of like chases her a little bit. And uh-huh. like, she like runs away. And then he like chases her a little <laughs> bit. And she like runs away a little more. And then he like chases her again. And then they reproduce. I mean, as you and I have discussed, I think everybody should really explore different forms of play. Of you course. know. So I would like to propose that this could be called ass play, where the male kind of like trots around the female and then she kind of like trots away a little bit and then he trots after her. And I think that it could be incorporated into maybe some of our listeners' lovemaking habits if they're so inclined. Sure, sure. Gestation has been reported from (laughs) 7 to 12 months. We don't really know. Uh, A single foal is born. Is that how you say it? Foal? Yeah. A single foal is born. It usually weighs about uh, 77 pounds at birth or so, and it walks within a few hours. Wow. Yeah. Damn, human babies get with it. Seriously. It took me nine months to walk. I think I was up there, too. I was pretty quick. The ladies can breed almost immediately after giving birth, but it's common for them to take like a year off between foals. Oh, okay. Just like our Rufus Pell's fishing owl. Yeah. So it's like kind of like Rufus solidarity. 
Like every other year we have one baby. Totally. Uh, sexual maturity time frame is unknown, but it's probably between like three and four years and they live up to 20 years typically in the wild. Cool. Trey cool. Uh, there's a nature historian, Chris Lavers, and he points to Traveler's Tales of the Kiang as one source of inspiration for the unicorn. Oh. Um, first described in ancient Greece. I have a quote about the Kiang. Okay. I have a Kiang quote by Ikai Kawaguchi, a Japanese monk who oh. he was traveling in Tibet in 1900 to 1902 regarding the kiang he says it has a curious habit of turning round and round when it comes to within seeing distance of a man even a mile and a quarter away it will commence this turning round at every short stage of its approach and after each turn it will stop for a while to look at the man over its own back like a fox ultimately it comes up quite close when quite near it will look scared and at the slightest thing will wheel around and dash away but only to stop and look back. When one thinks it has run far away, it will be found that it has circled back quite near to take, as it were, a silent survey of the stranger from behind. Altogether, it is an animal of very queer habits. Oh. I know. It just kind of sounds like shy. Yeah, he's shy and kind of quirky. Likes to dance. Big. Yeah. Oh, Is he like you, Mike? I guess I don't relate to the Kiang, but I... I relate to the nature of the Kiang when it encounters a human that it's unfamiliar with. Okay. It's kind of like, okay, we'll just kind of like look at you and then like kind of disappear for a while and then maybe reappear again and then maybe kind of like walk away. But I don't uh-huh. like, you know, I don't know what to make of them. It's just kind of like, what's your deal, dude? Yeah. Creature coincidences. <laughs> um, that's kind of all I brought about the wild ass. All right. Let's see what these boogers look like. Oh, there are my mandies again. It's K-I-A-N-G. Oh, buddies. Oh, that is so cute. Oh, they look, yeah, there's a stripe, and then they're kind of white on their bellies, and they look like more horse-like. Well, yeah, they're a quest. Yeah. They're a quest. They just don't look as donkey-like as I, this is like a perfect picture of the environment that you were describing. Oh, yeah, look at those majestic Kiangs. <laughs> Kiang. Kiang. Oh, great. Those are so fun. I had no idea about kings. Yeah, me neither. I guess I didn't understand that there were wild asses. I thought that, like, all donkeys were mules. Yeah, like beasts I was, of burden. Yeah, I was of. very confused about that. Working so. animals. Uh-huh. Okay. And I got a little bit more insight into my odd-toed undulate, even-toed undulate parse. Great. Moment. No, I'm glad we did that. Myself also. Yeah, because we're humans. We make mistakes. We're in un- untrodden territory. Right. People call a glockenspiel a xylophone all the time. Seriously. And I don't get mad about it anymore. Good. Let's take a break. Yeah. You, Kelly. Your breath stinks. Well, what do you expect, Stefan? I'm a ruminant. I'm constantly rechewing my cud in order to eat. You say cud, I say grass vomit. But it's a necessary part of my digestive system. It's tough to break down all that fibrous plant matter. That may be true, but my cousin Alvin told me about this one crazy secret to help avoid stanky rotting grass breath. Just one crazy secret? Tell me more. He uses Rumimins, the new mint from Brand Clubby, specifically designed for the four-stomach community. They sound miraculous. They sure are. Rumaments are specially formulated to work with the specialized enzymes in your foregut to help release the rotting cud that gets stuck between your teeth. Heavens to bets, 
happy. That sounds like a dream come true. Well, you don't have to wake up from this dream. It's reality. Now you no longer have to worry about that big date coming up. Just pop a room of mint and you're guaranteed fresh breath for your next mints on us. Wow, Brand Clubby really stands by its products. That's because they work. Well, we've made it to the listener feedback. We sure have. We're going to start off with a question from Langston in Wyoming. Uh, Langston writes, mate, pair, feed upon, tarantula, oyster, and snowy owl. Ooh, what a trio of animals. Yeah, great question, uh, Langston. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I feel like a snowy owl would make a good companion. Yeah. And uh, I feel like uh, with our Rufus, our pal's fishing owl, mm-hmm. like that was Fidelity. And they were partnered and, you know, then he would fly back and deliver the delicious, you know, fish treat to his waiting lady owl who was nesting and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think just in terms of like long-term partner, I feel like owls are probably a good choice. Okay. See, I think I would go for, I'll just go down my list. Okay. I don't want to eat an oyster. That sounds disgusting. So I think I would just hang out with that oyster. I'd pair with that oyster. Huh. Be quiet, be low maintenance. Yeah. Perfect. Probably not a lot of talking going on. Right. Not a lot, which is fine, which is totally fine. Um, I guess I'd mate with that tarantula because like, why not? And then snowy owl I would feed upon because, you know, maybe I'll try a little foray into odd bird meat. Respect. See, I would mate with the tarantula just to see how it worked. Yeah, exactly. I would pair with the snowy owl and I would feed upon the oyster. Yeah. Which makes us a house divided. Yeah. Although we agree that we're going to mate with the tarantula. Right. To quote unquote, see how it works. Okay. So the official position is that we're going to mate with the tarantula and that we're going to disagree that you are going to pair with the oyster and feed upon the snowy owl. And I am going to pair with the snowy owl and feed upon the oyster. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. ding. All right. So now we have a question from Jordy in Nebraska who asks, how would you free associate an animal with the following words so i'm gonna start and then mike's gonna follow okay mike what animal do you associate with wall sconce raptors birds of prey generally okay what about a traffic cone Ooh, i would say an anteater okay (laughs) amazing all right meredith uh so we're gonna start with trustworthy naked mole rat Ooh, that's a really good choice thank you spare tire a python Oh, nice. <laughs> Coiled up. Coiled yeah. up. Kind of hiding out in that car. Yeah. Oh, good free associations. Thank you. You too. Our third question comes from Jenny in Cincinnati. Jenny asks, which style of brand clubby microwavable popcorn most resembles the hot buttered popcorn like must of a noble bear cat? Wow. That's a great question. That is, yeah. I think that um, because this description of the bear cat as having a hot buttered popcorn like must yeah. is so prevalent and has been around for a long time, I think that we can rule out the artisanal brand clubby microwavable popcorn flavors like kettle corn, jalapeno fusion, and buffalo ranch blanche. <laughs> and move on to the four more standard issue popcorn flavors. So we have tender white unsalted. We have Clubby Farms Organic Butter Collab. 
Extra Movie Theater, Butter Machine, Butter, and Butter Apocalypse. And that's in order okay. from least butter to most butter. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I say um, Movie Machine Butter. The Extra Movie Theater, Butter Machine Butter? Yes. You don't think it's quite at Butter Apocalypse? I don't think so, because it could always be worse. You got you to gotta have that level 11 reserved. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I know that this hot buttered popcorn-like must of the noble bear cat comes from its urine. Yeah. I remember learning that when we were in Cincinnati. <laughs> so I feel like as with, you know, house cats, like right. the urine can be very potent, which would make me think that it would be like butter apocalypse level okay. butter. But I think that a typical bear cat maintains like a moist enough hydration level that it would maybe dilute the must. Sure. And that it would be the extra movie theater butter machine butter level. So I agree. We are the no longer a fan club divided. Yeah. So the fish position is that it would be. The extra movie theater butter machine butter is the brand clubby microwavable popcorn style that most resembles the hot buttered popcorn like must of a noble bear cat. Nailed it. Ding, 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 ding. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Love it. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan.